Hey, let's pray. Lord, thank you for um, our time tonight. And God, we pray that you would um, just speak to our hearts as we um, look into your word. Uh, Lord, and we're so thankful for it, for the example uh, that we have as we um, just look at the church in the book of Acts. And I pray, God, that we would walk away um, thoroughly um, challenged by their faith and their determination to see your will accomplished, Lord. So we praise you. We thank you for these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So we're in Acts chapter 26. And we're going to pick up in verse uh, 19 in a minute. I wanted to um, I wanted to read a short page out of this book that I'm reading. The title of the book is called "No Reason to Hide: Standing for Christ in a Collapsing Culture," and it's by Erwin Lutzer. And um, the book is really challenging because it um, really highlights, uh, you know, the purpose of the church and you know what. Um, all of the politics going on around here, it really grounds you back into the word. And I really, um, I really, you see this kind of attitude in the book of Acts, in the church. So let me, um, let me just read a, a short little snippet for you. As the church, um, we cannot ignore the cultural battles around us, but at the same time, we must stay above the fray preaching the gospel to both parties. For when we give an account to God, he will not ask about our political affiliation, but rather about what we did with his son, Jesus. We must say to everyone, regardless of their political views, Republican, Democrats, independents, will all find themselves under the eternal judgment of God unless they take refuge under the protection of Christ's righteousness for only he can save us from the wrath to come. We must stand against the culture, but also above it, because we stand for Christ, his gospel, and his cross. In our sincerity, in our sincerely held desire to see America be more Christian, we must remember that America was never at any time an explicitly Christian nation, though, of course, it was founded and influenced by Christian ideals. I agree with James Emery White, who said that we can never make America a Christian nation, no matter who we vote into office. It cannot happen top down. He asks, is the ultimate goal a Christian nation or a nation of Christians? The answer, of course, is obvious. The ultimate goal is to be a nation of Christians, and this can only take place through a faithful and courageous church sharing the gospel. Christianity, true Christianity, is not a political religion, although, as I have repeatedly emphasized, it has political ramifications. Christianity is promoted by freedom of conscience, accepting God's grace freely given to repentant sinners. True Christianity is not co-opted by political parties, either by the right or the left, but always has supreme allegiance to Jesus Christ, to Jesus Christ's gospel. Um, Gospel faithfulness requires no less. 
Let those who despise God's word be warned. In Psalm 2, verses 4 through 6, He who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. Then he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury, saying, As for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. What is God's solution to evil? It is the installation of his son, Jesus Christ, as king. Pretty awesome. And then Paul's words really echo, I think, for the church in 2 Timothy 4, 17 and 18. Paul says, The Lord stood by me and strengthened me, so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. So I was rescued from the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue, rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. To him be glory forever and ever. It's interesting words about the church and our, you know, really our position and um, what should be a priority for us, the gospel of Jesus Christ and fulfilling the call that we have to be um, ambassadors for Christ, to go ye into all the world and preach the gospel. And you see that in the, in the, in the book of Acts so clearly. Um, here we're going to be looking at Paul finishing up his, um, his time in front of Agrippa. And, you know, he's just giving him his testimony and he's sharing the gospel. If you look through the book of Acts, you, don't, you really don't see the church poking into the political realm that much at all. Um, you know, obviously... Um, there's issues with, uh, you know, the Jewish community with Paul traveling. And, you know, of course, they didn't hide their feelings and emotions with Paul. You know, they treated him really rough, you know, roughly. They tried to kill him multiple times. But, you know, it was still the, still the, the key, the heart of the first century church was the gospel of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ and him crucified. That, that is the solution. It was the solution back then for people's lives, and it is today. And as the church, we can't lose sight of that. You know, God has given us a mission, and we can't be sidetracked or we can't be pulled away from the reality of what the church is here for. So, so I like the book. It's pretty interesting, and um, I'm, I'm enjoying it. And it's uh, kind of supplementary, you know, when you can't sleep at night and you, it's hard to concentrate, but you start getting into a book and, you, you know, it starts to kind of wake you back up. So it's been a, it's been a challenging um, book for me. But before I, we get into um, verse 19 of Acts 26, I wanted to, um, you know, I want to, this is, you know, and I have no idea how far we're going to get tonight because all of these things were like you get bombarded on the way to church. But in Acts 26, and, you know, we're going to pick up in verse 19, but I want to read verses um, 15 down through 18 to kind of, you know, Paul is in front of Agrippa. He's already talked about his former way of living, um, you know, how, you know, he's really just being um, brought before him on trial just for preaching the gospel and, and really just telling everybody that everything that the prophets talked about came to pass. He, he, you know, he was just um, stating facts, 
fulfilled prophecy. Um, you know, God was really using him. But in verses 15 through 18, it's, it's kind of sets up Paul's remark in verse 19 where he says, Therefore, King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision. So listen to the, the heavenly vision. And I really believe that it's the heavenly vision and really uh, the church's goal, really, and our, our vision should be the same thing. Um, so, so I said, who are you, Lord? You know, Paul is on his way to Damascus, gets knocked off his horse. You know, the Lord um, <laughs> appears to him in a really a miraculous way. So he, the Lord says, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. But arise and stand on your feet, for I have appeared to you for this, pur- <clears throat> for this purpose to make you <clears throat> a minister of a and a witness both of the things which you have seen and of the things which I will yet reveal to you. You know, so we haven't been knocked off our horses, but when we got saved, you know, in a sense, that was our, that's when we met Christ, right? And picture Jesus saying to you, rise up and stand on your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose, and then, of course, he shares the purpose. So this is real personal. This is to us. He says, um, I will deliver you from the Jewish people um, as well as from the Gentiles to whom I now send you. Okay, so, I mean, we're not, um, we're not delivered from um, the Jewish people or from the Gentiles, but... You know what? God has delivered us from sin. God has delivered us from all of our adversaries, right? God has delivered us for a purpose. So he says to, to open your, their eyes in order to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among those who are sanctified by faith in me. You know, that's you know, wake up every morning and read that and you'll understand what, you know, what God's called you to do. And listen to that because it's specific. You know, God has called us to open their eyes in order to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among those who are sanctified by faith in me, by faith in Christ. That's, that's our mandate as the church. And Paul is telling Agrippa in verse 19, Therefore, King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to this heavenly vision, but declared first to those in Damascus and in Jerusalem and throughout all the region of Judea and then to the Gentiles that they should repent, turn to God, and do works befitting repentance. So Paul is basically saying that from the time this happened, he was faithful to that calling. And it says in Damascus, that's where he was, right? So God used him right where he found him, right where he saved him, from the day that he saved him. And it's really, isn't this exciting to think, you know, God doesn't waste any time. He doesn't waste any time in our relationship with him. He saves us, 
He, he explains, that, hey, this is the mission. Now, let's do it. Let's do it. And, of course, um, some of us, maybe most of us, I know me, um, sometimes it takes a while to get on board with that. Right, because there's a whole lot that has to happen in our lives. That, you know that God is dealing with us along with us sharing the gospel. But one thing I love about Paul, um, he regardless of everything that he did prior to getting saved, once he got saved, his whole his whole outlook totally changed, and you, you see it in his commitment. And he's telling this king, right? He's telling King Agrippa. Hey, I've never been disobedient to that. You know, I got saved and I never turned back. You know, he's talking to a king, you know, and he's giving the king the gospel. And he's going to call him out, right? We're going to see that. But it's just, it's just amazing to see that, his heavenly vision. And think, you know, that you know, Paul brought the gospel from Asia, Asia to Europe and then to Rome. And, you know, every step of the way, he knew that God was leading him. But think of the things that God has in store. We don't know. Paul had no idea. But what did he do? He woke up every day and just continued on. Okay, Lord, you know, here I am in, you know, Lystra. (laughs) You know, they dragged me out of the city and beat me. I'm back. Where do you want me to go? I mean, just his determination. And I don't mean to make light of that because, I mean, those were some, I've never been beaten close, you know, like a hair's breadth away from death or considered to be dead. But, you know, Paul, I mean, the things he endured for the gospel, just amazing. So, um, you know, and if you want, as a reference, you can go back to Acts chapter 9 and read um, through this, the more detail of this event with Paul getting saved, but for sake of time, you know, I don't want to. I don't want to do that. And you guys pretty much uh, kind of encapsulated that, even in those four verses or three verses we read. But Paul is seized for a reason. He says, "For this reason, you know, Paul is seized and almost killed for being obedient to this heavenly vision. You know, sharing the gospel, being faithful to God's word." Paul put his life in the hands of God. And going through this, the Lord has been challenging me. Could I do the same? Am I willing to do the same? You know, are we putting our lives in God's hands? You know, something to think about. Can we say with Paul that I was not disobedient to God's call on my life, regardless of the circumstances? Regardless of the things that we face. Now, Peter sheds, you know, kind of has the, um, felt the same way. And I think it gives, it's kind of challenges us even more. Um, You know, are we, uh, like Peter was going to, is going to say, and I'm going to read it. You know, Peter was always ready to give a defense. And that was his encouragement to the church. But in 1 Peter 3, verses 13 through 17, it says, and he... And who is he who will harm you if you become followers of what is good? But if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you are blessed. And do not be afraid of their threats, nor be troubled. But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and always be ready to give a defense 
to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear, having a good conscience that when they defame you as an evildoer, those who revile your good conduct in Christ may be ashamed. For it is better if it's the will of God to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. Now, Peter was crucified upside down at his request. Okay? Um, you know, what, what he's saying is so true for us today because um, they were considered evildoers because they were preaching the gospel. You know, they were just telling people the way it was, preaching Christ and him crucified, and that, you know, that they were narrow-minded because they were saying that that's the only way. But, but it's true, right? There is no other way. You know, there is no, there's, there's nothing else after Jesus. You know, if you're in the Old Testament, there was prophet after prophet, but guess what? There's nothing after Jesus. Jesus is it. He's the way, the truth, and the life. There's no other way to get to God. And Peter is saying that, you know, you're going to be defamed as an evildoer. And you know what? We call that today, we call that cancel culture. Because there's conservatives, pastors that are being called evildoers just because they're teaching the truth of God's word. And they're teaching it boldly. And so you can see Peter, they lived this. They put Peter to death. They crucified Peter upside down. And, you know, are we willing like they were willing to put our lives in God's hands? Because, you know, it could be a pretty, um, it could be a pretty interesting walk when you just say, okay, God, whatever comes my way, I'm, I'm just taking a stand for you. You know, and, and that's one thing that really challenges me when I read through the book of Acts is that um, the, these men and women that we read about, um, man, they were serious. <laughs> they were serious about their faith. And, you know, you can see um, the fruit of that and the, the example that they left us. So, you know, Peter is saying, sanctify the Lord in your hearts. You know, guys, and we really do. Our, I mean, there should only be, the, God's got to have our heart, who we are. You know, who we, the fabric of who we are, that has to be God's. And he has to shape it. He has to mold it. He's got to be the one that's shaping and molding our character. He's going to give us the, the courage to, to speak the truth in love, not to get in somebody's face, not to call people names, but to just share the truth of God's word in love. That's what God's called us to do. I mean, Paul, he's already appealed to Caesar. He already knows he's going to Rome. God told him he was going to go to Rome. And, not, and I, I, I can almost think that he looks at talking to Agrippa and sharing the gospel with him as like icing on the cake. I'm going to go see Caesar and answer to him, but now I get King Agrippa to share the gospel with. And, you know, remember, now they brought him into this, to this amphitheater, and it's full of centurions, people, you know, important people of the day. I mean, the opportunity he has here 
uh, to share the gospel. And what it, and it, believe me, it's, it's, we're going to read through it. It's, it's not a, like a friendly kind of a gospel. It's just the way it is. Jesus Christ and him crucified. So let's pick it up and, um, well, let's read. I probably should read some of those verses that I was talking about. Let's read verses 26 through uh, 30. No, nope, not 26 through 30. That's in check. It's in chapter 9. All right, pay, pay attention, Dave. All right, verse 22. Therefore, having obtained help from God, to this day I stand witnessing both to small and great, saying no other things than those which the prophets and Moses said would come, that the Christ would suffer, that he would be first to rise from the dead, and would proclaim light to the Jewish people and to the Gentiles. And, you know, he's saying that, therefore, having obtained help from God, in this case, the help from God came in the centurion Lysias, because he's the one who pulled him out of the crowd and brought him up into the barracks, gave him opportunities to speak. And it was, keep in mind, it was Lysias that was going to scourge Paul, but Paul finally, you know, let him know that, hey, well, I don't think you're supposed to do this to a Roman citizen. Got, got his attention. But, you know, God was there. God, um, Paul has, had obtained help from God throughout his whole relationship with the Lord. Hey, I'm getting attacked up here, Pastor Rob. I don't know, a little bugged. So he's, you know, he's, you know, he's obtained help from God. And think of not only Lysias, but in Acts 27, in the next chapter, Paul is going to be taken on a ship and, gone, and taken to Rome, right? And Julius, the centurion that's, take, that's overseeing that trip, I really believe he gets saved by the end of the, by the, end of the ride to Rome from the things that, that he's going to see. But God has always been there for Paul, and Paul knew it, and Paul is proclaiming it. Therefore, I've obtained help from God. And, you know, guys, we need to take that to heart because God is always, he's that ever-present help. You know, God calls you to do something. Don't, you know, it isn't like, you know, you're going to get into it and things are going to get weird and then he's going to just say, okay, well, you guys got it from here, I'm leaving. No, God's in it for the whole, the long haul. He's in it for the whole, for the whole duration. And Paul knew that, you know, and what, let me see if I got if I copied the verse down. In Acts twenty three eleven, I didn't I didn't write it down, but Paul's in a cell. Yeah, I did. Let me read it to you. He says, "But the following night, Paul is in a cell, waiting to um, go to Felix." And it says, "But the following night, the Lord stood by him and said, Be of good cheer, Paul, for as you have testified for me in Jerusalem.'" You must also bear witness at Rome. So, you know, God is, is with Paul. God is helping him throughout his whole ministry, whether it's in a jail cell, whether it's being pulled from a mob. You know, God has been taking care of Paul, and God will do that for you. God is always there. You probably have, you, if you think for a minute, you can think of multiple times where God has come through for you, where God has called you to do something and it looked kind of weird, and, but, you know, you saw it through and God was there. 
And so please don't lose heart. If God's calling you to do something, see it through. Trust him. And, you, and like Paul, you could say that, you know, therefore, during all of that, I've, I've obtained help from God. And in verse 23, it says that Christ would suffer and that he would be first to rise from the dead and proclaim light to the Jewish people and to the Gentiles. So the message was that the Messiah would suffer. He would be the first to be raised from the dead, indicating that, um, you know, we're in line to be risen too. And that he would show um, light both to the Jewish people and to the Gentiles. So Paul is on a roll. Paul is, you know, he's getting into it. And I, in verse 24, it says, Now as he thus made defense, Festus said with a loud voice, Paul, you are beside yourself. Much learning has driven you mad. And I'm thinking, just reading this, Festus is there, and, you know, the, the whole purpose of this meeting for, with Agrippa is so Festus can have something to write to give to, when they take Paul to Rome, he's got to have something to write to present to Caesar. He just can't have Paul showing up with just, oh, what are you here for, Paul? I don't know, you know, I'm accused. He had to have some reasoning why he was doing it. So he's got, Festus has Paul present his case to Agrippa so he could get some info. I think at this point he's just said, hey, wait a minute. This is, enough is enough. I can't take anymore. You know, you can just picture the Holy Spirit just convicting this guy. And now he's like, all right, wait a minute, wait a minute. Just, okay, that's it. You know, um, you know, Festus with a loud voice tells Paul, you're beside yourself. Much learning has made you mad. And you know, you got to think Paul is on a roll, and he's, you know, he just doesn't want it to go any further. And I'll tell you what, I've been there. Before I got saved, people would come out to where we would hang out, and they would share the gospel with us. And it would get to the point, like, sometimes you would just want to tell them, just leave me alone. You know, I mean, I, go tell somebody else. And the thing was, it was really convicting, I mean, after a while it was. I mean, the Lord, I, I think that most of us realize that it took God a little bit of time to get our attention. So at first, sometimes you would just blow people off, but it, after a while, you know, the Lord starts using that. But Festus, he tells Paul, you know, you're beside yourself. You know, all of this learning, you know, come on, Paul, no, none of these people in this place, these scholars, these soldiers, these politicians, these Roman citizens. They're not, what are you talking about? These, somebody rising from the dead, that the dead could live. You know, he's just telling, you know, telling them how absurd it must sound. And, you know, it does sound different, right, to somebody that's hearing it for the first time. So, you know, Festus is just unable to contain himself. So in verse 25, let's, let's read on a little bit. It says, but he said, Paul, <laughs> I'm not mad, most noble Festus. I mean, Paul just keeps his, his demeanor, you know. It's, it's chill, man. I'm not, hey, it's, you know, I'm not out of my mind is basically what he's saying. I'm not mad, most noble Festus, but speak the words of truth and reason. For the king, talking about Agrippa, before whom I also speak freely, knows these things. For I am convinced 
that none of these things escape his attention since this thing was not done in a corner. Let me, let me stop there just for a second. I want to read the title of that book to you again. No Reason to Hide, Standing for Christ in a Collapsing Culture. You know, when you think about the gospel, and Paul just said it to, just said it to Festus, okay? He just said it to, to Festus. Since this thing was not done in a corner. Christianity, our, this, is, this has been done in the wide open, man. This isn't, you know, there's, this isn't a secret thing like a secret club. You know, this isn't, shouldn't surprise anybody. Christianity has been around for thousands of years. And you know what? Jesus didn't, um, you know, he didn't, be, he wasn't crucified in some lonely place where nobody was. I mean, I mean, this was, this was huge. You know, and so, so it's just interesting, that book, the church, church, we don't have to hide. You know, we're the ones on the right side of the argument. You know, we're the ones that are right. And I don't say that in a prideful or boastful way. It's, what did Paul say? Truth and reason. That's, it's the truth, and we can reason that. It's true. So, you know, we don't have to hide. We don't have to hold our tongue. We can speak the truth in love. We can share the gospel. Just like, like Paul is, you know, Paul is pretty much, Festus is calling him a madman, and what, how does he respond? I'm not mad, most noble Festus. I'm not. This is, you know, I speak the words of truth and reason. Church, that's what we have. We have the truth and reason. We have a book that is rock solid. We have the word of God. That, I mean, this book, there's no other writing in history that has been established and maintained and with, with the integrity that this book has. So we, church, this Paul is not ashamed of the gospel. Romans 1, right? The first century church, they weren't ashamed of anything. They were thrown to lions. I mean, they, gave, they laid their life down. You know, sometimes it's hard enough for some people in the church to even take a stand on some of the different issues that are going on because they don't want to feel like, well, you know, I don't want to be insensitive or I don't. Hey, you know what? We have plenty of examples throughout church history that we should feel comfortable in our Christian skin and be able to share the gospel in a way um, that people are going to understand it and accept it, Lord willing, right? So he tells, you know, he's talking to, um, you know, to Festus. He's saying this thing wasn't done in a corner. Verse 27, King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know that you do believe. So Paul puts Agrippa, now he's putting Agrippa on the spot, the king. I know you believe this stuff, king, right? Well, oh, oh, wait a minute, Paul. You know, I mean, he's putting the king on the spot. I mean, it's just, it's, it's not comical, but it's really, talk about putting your life in God's hands. You know, usually people don't talk to kings like that. You don't put the king on the defensive, right? I mean, if Pastor Richard is in Daniel, I mean, could you imagine telling Nebuchadnezzar you're wrong? 
or you know, or you know Nebuchadnezzar. You know, you don't just don't talk like that to kings. But um, you know, he puts Agrippa in a tough spot. Um, if he denies the prophets, he alienates the Jews. If he says he believes, he reinforces Paul's point. So what he does is he, uh, he kind of shifts gears and answers with another question and, you know, tries to change the subject. Then Agrippa said to Paul, you almost persuade me to become a Christian. And we know that almost doesn't count in becoming a Christian, right? It's like saying that the parachute almost opened, right? It's, um, it's kind of critical, right? So there's no almost. You can't almost be persuaded. So, and that, you know, and the, the tra- a better translation of that is, do you think you can convince me to become a Christian in such a short time? You know, so he understands the bind that Paul's put him in. So Agrippa counters Paul's question with another question. You know, just to get his to get out of this, right? So, so then Agrippa said to Paul, "You almost persuade me to be a Christian." And Paul said, "I would to God that not only you, but also all who hear me today might become both almost and altogether such as I am, except for these chains." And when he had said these things, the kid, the king stood up. So when the king stands up, meeting's over, right? He's when he leaves, it's, it's, it's a done deal, right? So the king stood up, as well as the governor and Bernice, and those who sat with them. And when they had gone outside, they talked among themselves, saying, this man is doing nothing deserving of death or chains. Then Agrippa said to Festus, this man might have been set free if he had not appealed to Caesar. Hmm. So Paul wants everybody, Paul saying, hey, not just you, Agrippa, everybody in the place, I mean, everybody in this whole arena, I would want them to to have what I have except these chains. So he's wanting, you know, he's he's wanting to hold everybody, everybody, not just everybody, not just you, King Agrippa, everybody, you know, and that's um, just amazing, Paul's heart. And, you know, when at the end when it says that, um, that, that when Agrippa says that this man might have been set free if he had not appealed to Caesar. You know, and I was just thinking about that a little bit. You know, maybe in Agrippa's mind, he thought that. And, it, you know, maybe on a, 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 you know, on a human level, uh, you know, maybe there was some merit in that statement. But he has no idea, you know, spiritual things are spiritually discerned. You know, he has no idea that God has already ordained Paul to be in Rome. And so Paul's going to Rome. And all of this is God's plan. So you can't always rely on the, on the wisdom of men when they think something is a good idea. They thought, you know, oh, gee, that's poor guy Paul. Now, he's, you know, he should have never appealed because he probably could have been a free man. But all along... This is God's plan for him to go to Rome. So God's plan is firing on all cylinders. Paul is getting ready to go, and Agrippa's thinking, oh, this poor guy probably could have got set free, but now he's going to Caesar. Well, that's where God wanted him to go. That's where Paul wants to go. So it's just interesting. Uh, Pastor Rob, you know, 
put Proverbs 3 on the, on the overhead this morning. You know, we don't lean on your own understanding. Not when you can have the wisdom of God available, you know, through prayer and just seeking the Lord. You know, acknowledge God in all your ways. And, you know, it just makes so much more sense. So I don't know, it doesn't, I don't think Paul heard Agrippa say that. I'm just wondering if he did, if he, how he would have responded. Like, oh, wait, Agrippa, don't, don't feel bad for me. I'm going right where God wants me to go. You know, and that's, um, that's what's important for us, right? The world might think we should go in one direction, but that's, and they can think that. You know what, they can think that we're, um, we don't understand biology anymore. They can, they can rewrite whatever they want. But you know what, the church is called to go in a certain direction, and that's the direction that we go in. And, you know, man can say all they want. They can call us all the names they want. They can persecute us. They can do whatever they want. But that can't deter us from going in the direction God has called us to go in. And that's just the way it is. And that has to be that matter of fact for us, right? People can say what they want, but this is what the word of God says, so this is what we're going to do. And you know what? A lot of times people don't understand that. And so we need to explain it. You know, we need not to get bugged or irritated, you know, with politicians or whatever. You know, we just, just like Paul, <laughs> most honorable Festus, I'm not mad. You know, hey, we're not mad. This is, we just believe the word of God. So let's move into, um, we have a few more minutes. Let's, verse, chapters 27 and 28 are, um, you know, Luke spends a lot of time on them. So maybe we can kind of get into a little of the introduction to these two chapters. So, you know, why would Luke devote such a long such a section, um, you know, two chapters on his description of Paul's voyage to Rome and, you know, the whole shipwreck, the whole thing. I, you know, this is just um, my thought on this, but I believe that one of the main purposes that Luke had in mind was presenting Paul as a courageous leader who could take command of a difficult situation in a time of great crisis and totally trust the Lord every step of the way. You know, and really, Paul, that's what Paul is going to do. He starts out as a prisoner on a ship going to Rome. And by the time he gets there, he, by, he pretty much turns into the captain of the ship towards the end of, you know, just before they get shipwrecked. And once they're on the island of Malta and when they get to Rome, I mean, Paul pretty much um, kind of takes over. And it's all because of his relationship with the Lord. It's all because he's trusting in the Lord. And, you know, he's praying. He's seeking the Lord. We talked about prayer this morning. I mean, the ship is, we're, we'll get into it, but when you, if you, you've probably already read through Acts multiple times. But, you know, Paul is, you know, they're, they're on, in this, the middle of nowheres in this storm. And Paul is praying and seeking the Lord. And, and the Lord gives him direction and he shares it. And they see, they see the Lord in that eventually. It takes him some time. 
But, you know, for future generations, just think of all the people that have read this book over the, over the years of, you know, generations of believers have an awesome example of how to navigate through the storms of life by reading these two chapters. Because that's what Paul did. Paul, the Lord, through Paul, saw them through this whole disaster. They could have been, they could have all been lost. Pretty interesting thought. Luke was certainly not writing just a fable, but he did use this exciting event to show one man's faith can make a big difference for him and others in the storms of life. So the storms of life come in many different ways, right? There's a storm of correction, Jonah, right? He got in a storm and God, you know, used that to correct Jonah. Um, a storms of instruction, the disciples on the sea with Jesus going to the other side. The storm came upon them. They thought that they were finished. So they wake up Jesus and he rebukes them. He rebukes the wind, the storm. Um, the disciples are amazed that the winds are subject to him. The instruction is in Luke 8.25. But he said to them, where is your faith? And they were afraid and marveled, saying to one another, who can this be? For he commands even the winds and the water, and they obey him. You know, there is an instruction to, fit, to, trust, to trust Jesus. And then in Genesis 6, there is a storm of judgment, the flood. In this chapter, in 27, it's a storm of direction. We'll see that they end up on a certain island, and it was this storm that would bring them there. Um, you know, in verse, it, we're going to see that it, you know, part of the verses that we're going to read next time is, however, we must run aground on a certain island. You know, this was going to happen. And, you know, this, what I like about this chapter is it answers the question that you hear all the time when you're sharing the gospel with somebody. And they say, okay, what about these people on these faraway little islands where nobody can ever get to them? How are they ever going to get saved? Well, now if anybody asks you that question, you can say, well, I know of one account of this little island that God brought the Apostle Paul to, and the whole island got saved. You know, God cares about people, and he has ways to get people and get the gospel to people. And, and that's what I really like about this whole thing, well, part of it. I mean, it's really, it's an interesting story for sure. But it's, it's you know, God, care, God will make a way for people to hear the gospel. Right? God is going to make a way. And this is one example. So if anybody ever tells you that again, you can say, well, let's turn to Acts chapter 27 and 28, and we can look at how God does accomplish that. And, you know, when you think about it, how much does, just think of what had to happen for Paul to get to, to Malta and for that whole thing to happen. Oh, man, it's, you know, God is awesome. God is awesome. All right, let's, um, let's just read a few verses and then we'll, um, we'll call it a night. So the, the voyage to Rome begins roughly around 59 AD. Uh, the trip shouldn't have taken as long as it did, obviously, but it took about seven months. 
leaving Caesarea in August and arriving in Rome in March. So they were driven through the storm about 500 miles off course, roughly 36 miles a day, and they were driven for 14 days. Think about that. I mean, we're going to see that there was a while there where they didn't see the sun or the moon or the stars for 14 days. And these were people that were used to sailing. I mean, they were ready to throw in the towel pretty much. But we're going to see that Paul just brings them the word that he got from the Lord, and he gives them direction, and they follow it. So it's, um, it's really just a beautiful picture of God's love, Paul's faithfulness to just the word of God. Um, I want to encourage you guys, like, read through these two chapters um, tonight when you get home. So it says in verse 1 then, and when it was decided that we, so Luke is with them now, um, should sail to Italy, they delivered Paul and some other prisoners to one named Julius. Now mark that name because by the time they get to Rome, I really believe he's a believer. I mean, if he's not, after everything he's going to see from here till he gets to Rome, boy, it, it would take an awful lot for him not to be. But... Um, a centurion of the Augustan regiment. And, you know, these guys were pretty much did a lot of transporting the prisoners and things like that. They were a, a special group um, for the Roman army. So Julius, keep him in mind as you, as you go through this. Um, think about the prisoners that were on this ship. A lot of these guys, the prisoners, were going to be on their way to Rome and they were going to be food for the lions you know, these, these people were, these were like um, criminals, um, like I said, gladiators. You know, these, um, these guys had really nothing, uh, nothing to live for. They knew that they were, where they were going, I mean, that they, they were just, it was a death sentence for them. So they were utter, utterly hopeless men. And what an opportunity this gave Paul to bring the gospel of hope to this class of men. And, you know, you, you, know, the, you know the application or, the, you know, how you can just expand that. You know, we, we live in a world that is full of hopeless men and women without Christ, right? We have the opportunity to bring the gospel to them. Man, and, you know, think about it. You know, we can look at this and say, yeah, these guys are on that ship. And when they got to Rome, I mean, that, that, their fate was, was sealed. And, you know, when, after, you know, when, you know, we know what's coming. We know what's coming, and that should really motivate us to, to really be vocal with our faith. These guys, they had no hope because they knew what was happening. You know, we know, it's, we know that the rapture is going to happen any minute. And we know for those people that are left behind, it's going to be very difficult for them to get saved. You know, we, we just know how horrible things are going to get. You know, and, you know, Paul is on a ship full of people like this. And, and you know, I, got, I hope you guys understand what I'm saying. You know, there's... There's people that really, unless we share the gospel, people that might not hear it. 
And, and, you know, why not be the one that they hear it from? So entering the ship at Adraminium, and that was like the home base of the ship, and that was southeast, southeast of, of Troas. So Luke, uh, we, put the sea, meaning that they sailed along the coast of Asia. Aristarchus, a Macedonian of Thessalonica, was with us. Now, I'm going to end with, I want to end with this because I want to end it with a, just a challenge as an example. Now, there's no evidence that either Luke or Aristarchus um, had been arrested with Paul. Okay? Yet, um, you know, Paul refers to Aristarchus as his fellow prisoner, so this could re- refer to a voluntary imprisonment on his part in order to assist Paul. Luke could go as Paul's physician, but think about, think about that for a minute. They gave up their freedom to go with Paul. They gave up their freedom to serve the Lord. You know, because, granted, they loved Paul. And I, I've, the way I wrote it, I said, they literally gave up their freedom to stay with Paul. Their commitment was to the Lord more so than Paul, but that's what motivated them to go with Paul. They were serving the Lord, but they knew that Paul was serving the Lord. There was such a love, you know, there, just a bond. That it was like, Paul, if you're going, we're going with you. You know, we're, we're, we're going to see this through with you. You know, and you think of the commitment. And I'll tell you what, I think that if, if the church, if we could get to that level of commitment to one another, because we love the Lord, right? We love the Lord. We just have trouble with us, right? If we could get to that point where we would start caring for one another this way, where we would be willing to say, hey, I'll give up my freedom for you, bro. I'm going to see, I'm going to, I'm with you. I'm going to see this through with you. Whatever it is, alcoholism, drug, whatever it is. But hey, you know what? I'm in it. I'm in it with you. Right? I'm going to stay the course with you till we get through this. You know, we need that in the church. And it was a big deal back then, you know, to give up your freedom. I don't know, if they were going to arrest Pastor Rob, would you say, oh, officer, by the way, take me with you. Take me with you. Yeah, I'll go with you. Know, you know, it's just you got to think about this stuff. you got to think about the reality of what's happening. These men were giving their life. They, they knew Paul was going to go present his case when he got to Rome. They didn't know what would happen to them. So it's just, I just want to leave you with that thought. You know, sometimes we got to get outside of ourselves and, you know, outside of being concerned just about us and start reaching out to the body of Christ, to one another, because everybody needs, a, a, you know, a leg up from time to time. We all do. But this was a big, this was a big commitment, huge and um, I'm challenged by it. I, when reading, I was reading this last night, and I was thinking, man, you know, and this isn't, 
jails back then were not like the jails today where you get cable TV and you could take college courses and you can go work out in the gym. Uh, you know, this was, man, this is, I don't know. I, I don't even think I can express it. Just the, the commitment that these guys made. And, you know, I know it was to Paul, but it was to the Lord. They were totally sold out to the Lord, and they did this. And, uh, you know, hey, praise the Lord. I, I, it, it gets, you know, as we go through, we're going to see some really cool stuff. I mean, they should make, a, really, they should make a movie out of the book of Acts. Could you imagine? But they'd have to keep it, like, keep it real. But it would be a great, it would be a great series. And you know what? We're living it, though, right? We're living out the book of Acts tonight. So let's stop here. Let's pray. Uh, Lord, thank you so much for um, men like Luke and Aristarchus, Paul, the men and the women that we don't even know or hear about that were part of the foundation of the church. You know, men and women that gave their hearts to you and lived their lives um, totally sold out for you. And I pray, God, that we see us um, here in the book of Acts as well. Saints here that are sold out for you, that love you, that want to serve you, Lord. And um, it's exciting, God. And we're so thankful that, um, that your, your word is truth, that you've um, entrusted us with the gospel, that ministry of reconciliation, Lord, that uh, we would be faithful to that call, um, just like these men were faithful to the call on their lives. And um, Lord, when it gets um, a little hectic, when things seem like they're getting a little out of control or a little scary, that we would realize that, and there would be no doubt in our minds or our hearts that you're there with us. You said you'd never leave us or forsake us. God, you call us and you equip us. And uh, Lord, you're there with us every step of the way. So I pray, Lord, that you would um, just give us um, a, a booster shot, if you will, of faith, Lord, just to know that you're seated on, on that heavenly throne, just looking down at your church and just so excited about what you're seeing. Give us, give us the courage and the strength that we need uh, to see through the mission you've given us, Lord. We love you so much. We thank you for traveling mercies for our way home. And uh, Lord, I pray that um, these guys would read through the rest of the chapters that are left, 27 and uh, 28, and uh, really just um, that they'd be excited about these things that you're going to be doing uh, through Paul's life. It's in your name we pray. Amen.